On today's episode of The Door Report, powered by Alaco Finewood Floors, we're joined by Max Hers, who will be on the call for Saturday's Game 2 between Vandy and Oklahoma State on SEC Network Plus to preview another Vandy Boys season, Tim Corbin's 20th to be exact. Max gives his reaction to the pitching rotation with McIlvain, Maldonado, and Holton getting the nod against the Cowboys this weekend, and how good of an offensive team the Vandy boys could be with so much talent coming back. Plus, we recap Vandy's loss to Auburn on Wednesday night on the hardwood and look ahead to their matchup with Texas A&M on Saturday. We've got all that and much more coming right up here on The Door Report, powered by Alaco Finewood Floors. Let's ride. At Vanderbilt, it's Tim Corbin in the Vandy Boys, Jerry Stackhouse on the hardwood, and Clark Lee on the gridiron. Nashville, it's time to sit back, relax, grab a cold one, and enjoy the show. The Music City is our state, and West End is where we rock. You're listening. To the Door Report, the premier Vanderbilt podcast for fans who believe black and gold. Commodore Nation, anchor down. Welcome into the Door Report. It is episode 145. It is February 17th, 2022. We are powered by Alaco Finewood Floors. Well, we've got another loss to recap. Vanderbilt uh, suffered a loss to Auburn down in the jungle. That was 94 to 80. Uh, well, they fought. They, they fought in the first half. They fought most of that game, but Auburn uh, really just kind of stepped on Vanderbilt's throats with Jabari Smith, 31 points. Walker Kessler had a really good game for them as well. Well, I'll talk about this a little bit later, but when those two guys are playing the way they are for Auburn, I don't know if there's a team in the country that beats them. No, there's a reason that Auburn was number one in the country before they got beaten right after becoming number one and now they're sitting at number two. There's a reason for that. And that team was just better than Vanderbilt. It's not that I don't, I didn't watch that game and think Vanderbilt did anything wrong or did anything poorly. They actually came out and Auburn started slow and the two big lineup that stack used to start the game gave Auburn trouble early, yeah. but and, and they actually capitalized on Auburn starting slow. Believe it or not. it still didn't matter because Auburn was just unconscious. And when a yeah. good team is unconscious, there's just only so much you can do in and basketball when, when the shots are just falling. And when they're playing at their home gym, the jungle, that, that place is one of the toughest places to play in. And once they get rolling, it, they're just tough to defend. So we'll recap the Auburn game. But, Will, I think more importantly, we got Vanderbilt baseball coming up uh, this weekend, the opening weekend. Uh, for Tim Corbin and the Vandy boys, they will play Oklahoma State. So we'll preview that uh, as much as we can. And uh, we did our research on the Cowboys. So this should be a, a big weekend at, at the Hawk. Before we get to all that, though, don't forget to follow us on Twitter at door underscore report and Instagram door dot report. Like us on Facebook, subscribe to our YouTube channel. Our podcast is available on Anchor, iTunes, Spotify and Google Podcasts. And while you're at it, give our podcast five stars and a review on iTunes. All right, let's get to the breaking news. No matter what style you're going for, you can trust your flooring job to Alaco Finewood Floors. Take a walk through the woods in your home every day. Get your flooring job started today by calling 615-356-0303. Alaco Finewood Floors. Craftsmanship you can stand on. All right, well, Auburn beats Vandy 94 to 80. The Tigers are now 24 and 2 overall, 12 and 1. In the SEC, Vanderbilt falls to 13 and 12 overall, five and eight in the SEC. And Will, it, it was a really entertaining first half. That was that was as good of an SEC basketball uh, first half as I've seen uh, maybe all week. I mean, we've seen some really good games, but that was that, that was uh, a couple of teams going at it. Vanderbilt jumped out to an 11-0 lead. Bruce Pearl had to call a timeout, and I was. I was stunned. I mean, I, w I was pretty surprised at what I was watching. And the believe it or not, well, they led for all uh, all but 90 seconds in the first half. So 
Uh, well, they're now t- two and ten this season when they trail at the half. Scotty Pippen, uh, a terrific performance: twenty-nine points, six assists. He made fourteen free throws. He only missed two free throws, so I think that percentage for him is is going up a little bit. Jordan Wright, fifteen points, and well, I want to get to this. Liam Robbins, he really impressed. I mean, he that that was that was the Liam Robbins we expected to see this entire season. Now, obviously, he had, hasn't been at a hundred percent. But when he's healthy, that's the type of player he can be, and he changes the offense. I mean, he took Walker Kessler uh, to the rim, and, and, and you know that was something we hadn't seen uh, anyone do on Kessler all season. He's been blocking shots left and right. So uh, that's what we expected to see from Robbins. Uh, but, Will, Auburn bottom line was just a little bit, a little bit too much, especially when they're shooting that well. I mean, they almost hit 100 points. Uh, so I think for Vanderbilt, Will – they're making improvements. They're making strides. There's not much Vanderbilt could have done in, in this game. I mean, it, there's not much Vanderbilt's going to do playing against Auburn, who's you aforementioned moving to 20, what, what is the record, 24 and 2. Yep. So, very talented team, was number one in the country, sitting at number two in the AP poll, sitting at number, I think, two or three in the Ken Palm rankings. And when Jamar, Jabari Smith is shooting like that, you're just not you going guard to beat that. Auburn. If he is shooting like that in the NCAA tournament, there's very, very few times when people say this, and it's actually true. If Jabari Smith is shooting like that, no team in the country will beat Auburn. They will win the national championship. If he shoots well, like that every game through the NCAA tournament, they will win every game by double digits, and they will win the national championship. It doesn't matter if they're playing – Kentucky or Tennessee or LSU or Baylor or whoever they're matched up against Duke, North Carolina, they will. They're going to beat all of them. So that is where I said, I don't think Vandy put up 80 points against Auburn. Auburn started slow. Vanderbilt came out with the two bigs. I don't think we expected that. We also didn't really expect to hear the news that Chapman was going to be out until the SEC Tough tournament. News. But news. the the two big lineup from Stack was an interesting look. And I think it's something they'll use more, especially if Chapman is out until then, because Auburn did struggle early and Vandy actually capitalized, got up 11-0. Then they were up 14-3, but I don't want to sound like I haven't watched Vanderbilt before because you said, you know, I was shocked at what I was watching. I was not shocked at what I was watching. I was watching it. I just wasn't that excited. I was watching it and I was excited just a little bit. You know, I was tweeting, oh my, but I knew where this was headed. There, There was never a part of me that actually thought, this 11 point lead is going to maintain throughout this entire game. It's you, you see it all the time. It happens a lot more in like mid major level college basketball and, and in the NCAA tournament is early, early in games, these lower seeded teams, less talented teams are able to jump out, get hot. They have this, but then the depth takes over, then the athleticism, then the scoring depth takes over, which is what we really saw from Auburn is it's not just Jabari Smith. It's not just that he's on as I have a train coming by, Billy. Here comes the and train. We'll, uh, move I'll on take it you. over. <laughs> oh man, love it. But uh, yeah. So, Will, I, I, you know, when I say I'm surprised, I, I obviously knew what was likely to happen. And you know, in that first half, the way that game started, I was just purely surprised at how, how, how. I think Auburn was was surprised. I mean, Vanderbilt came in and attacked. I mean, they 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 took advantage of 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 what Auburn was giving them. And Vanderbilt is, you know, I talked and about. And I want to, we need to give credit there because that's where the only other thing that I was going to say is while we get, we're going to have criticisms here, I think, again, of Stack, of, of his lineup usage and player personnel usage, that what he did at the beginning of the game set the tone with a move that probably wasn't the most obvious decision to make there in personnel usage. And it worked at the beginning of the game with the two bigs and gave all my yeah. feds. So yeah. yeah. Liam Robinson. Me and you are both going to be critical of personnel usage, but before we're critical, I want to give a little bit of credit there and say that that was good use to start the game. Yes. Now, yes, it was. Now, on the other stuff. hand, yeah. On the, <laughs> on the on the other hand, um, you know, you look at how, how how the defense you know played for Vanderbilt against Auburn. That, like like I said, there's there there's not much Vanderbilt could have done other other than the things they did. I thought they played, especially in the first half. I thought they they rebounded solid and they played good defense. You know, and and without Chapman, I think you could have seen a difference there. Um, but will. This team, I, I look at the, you know, Taryn Frank. I, I want to dive into Taryn Frank and, and 
you know, I, I obviously hate ripping, you know, we're not, we don't, we never rip personal, personal guys and, and get personal in, in that aspect. Um, but I'm starting to realize Taron Frank is, is, is doing more hurt to this team than he's helping uh, when he's in the game. And, you know, like I said, it, it's, it's tough when you have, and when Liam's out and, and Q and B's out, uh, you know, you got to throw him in there. Like, and that's where I'm at right now. Do we have an update on man? What happened with him there? When uh, he went down with there him? might have, there might be one on Twitter. I can look at that. Uh, but, yeah. but the thing with, with Taron Frank will is, uh, you know, I'm, I'm, he's, he's a, he's, I'm sure he's a, a great, a great player in practice and he's a, he's a good program player, but uh, I, I think that is, that's something that needs to change Vanderbilt's Vanderbilt's depth at the post position. And, and that's obvious, but, I think, you know, other te- most other teams in the SEC will, especially if they're at the top, like Vanderbilt wants to be in that top half of the SEC. I'm sorry, but you can't be throwing a guy like Taron Frank into the game who, you know, he turned he had a huge turnover that you had a wide-open layup on the other end, and then Jabari Smith, boom, makes a three. So it's certain plays like that where, you know, other, other people on Vanderbilt's team do it also. I've, I've seen, you know, we've seen that from Trey Thomas. We've seen that from Jermaine Mann. So I think for Vanderbilt, Will, it's, it's one thing, it's maturing. And it's learning how to play in in the SEC and 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 get these wins. So I think maybe down the road, I'm not saying Taron Frank uh, can't do that, but I'm saying that's where it has to change for Vanderbilt. They've got they've got to be for Stackhouse. You can't say, oh, here come you know we got to put Frank in there, and we might have to surrender eight, 10, 12 points. That that can't happen. You know you can't that that situation can't come up and. You know, I think a lot of it will is simple, simply inexperience from from Frank. But at the same time, you've got other guys making a lot of those same turnovers. So I think it, it's more of a team issue, as in <laughs> this team is still just young. Like they, you know, I mean, there's still this is still a you've got Pippen, you've got Wright, you've got Studi, but the, you've got other guys. Thomas, I know he played last season, but at the same time, I, I think you know is I don't think it's simply hey those guys you know, shouldn't be on the team. I'm, I'm not saying that, but I'm just saying Stackhouse has to get to that point to where there's enough depth and saying, hey, I'm comfortable with this next group of five because I don't think he is right now. Well, you don't fix that this season. And that's that's the problem is right now this team is vertically challenged. I would say you have two very, very good sized posts. And when healthy, Liam Robbins and QMB are an intimidating two posts to have. But after that, if your backup center after that is Jermaine Mann, who's six foot six, and who, uh, if you can find an update on that injury, I know he went down on that dunk attempt where he got no lift and it was kind of one of those non-contact injuries, but hopefully he's he's okay and it was more of kind of a scare thing. Yeah, I couldn't find out, one, but, um, but I, I doubt it's anything, anything too okay, severe. Good. Um, okay, well, yeah. that, that being said, Taron Frank is the only other guy, and I agree with everything you said, Billy, 100%. Everything that you said, 100% agree. But go. Stack's in a tough spot because if outside of those two guys, with Liam Robbins just getting kind of at the beginning of back in the game shape, is you have nobody else that even resembles a center yeah, on that yeah. roster besides Taron Frank. It's just what I have an issue with is I don't know if it is the design of this offense. I don't know if it's Frank out kind of doing his own thing, knowing that he's stack is in that spot where he yeah, has to put yeah. him out there just due to size, mm-hmm. but he's, he's asking Frank to do a lot. He I is. mean, he, if Frank, there are guys on every roster. Maybe had, not I think he was guarding teams. Jabari Smith. Uh, yeah, it's not the, maybe not the elite teams in the country, but everybody has big bodies that aren't necessarily the most skilled. Hell, there were guys at Vanderbilt that made whole careers of that, and that was like Festus Azili. Right. But I think Taron Frank has potential if he could develop over time. He has some ball handling ability a little bit. His jumper's not hideous, but it's not there yet. And he's, and he's playing like it's there. He's playing like it's already polished. And I don't know if that stacks seeing that in practice and it's working, but he always seems to take one too many dribbles or hold the ball for one second too long or make that pass that just doesn't need to be made. And he, he can make plays because he has the potential to be kind of a fluid athlete at that mm-hmm. large yeah. size, which is why I can see he was probably recruited to TCU and why he was appealing for Stackhouse to get into the program mm-hmm. to kind of fit that flex four yeah. that he wants to have. Yeah. But it's not there right now, and it's not working. So get back to the basics. 
kind of how, what you did with QMB last year before he has kind of improved this season is he was just a big body. That's all Tyron Frank needs to be, really. I know that's not a natural fit for him, but that needs to be his role right now. And in the future, once you get in a little bit of depth this next season, get healthier, then maybe transition. I don't know if he sees the court at all. Probably not. But if he does, it's certainly not going to be at the five position, and he's going to have time to develop. So I I don't know. I just think what he's doing right now, he's getting set up for failure. He can't succeed doing it. Like, it's not in his he's skill being set. A, he's, he's being asked to be a stretch four guarding the other team's best player in Jamari it, Smith. It's like saying, times. it's like getting extremely mad at Pippen's turnovers. It's like, yeah, yeah it's he like has he a lot of turnovers. Could he, could he make better decisions? And are there like a few, two or three in there? But like yeah. three or four, you can be the best point guard in the country, most efficient. The amount that he controls the ball, you're just going to have turnovers. You're going to have just to take have things that, yeah. On gonna, that box score, you're just going to eat some turnovers. So yeah. there's always three or four built in. It's, the, it's that same way. Yeah, and Will, I think for this team, the issue hasn't been – some games there's been way too many turnovers. They've had, you know, certain games, 22, 23. Um, you know, I think they had 16 against Auburn. Obviously, it's not a great number. But I think the, the, the thing I want to get at, Will, is when these turnovers are coming and, and how they are happening – a lot of these turnovers are not forced. It's Vanderbilt shooting themselves in the foot. And I think that is something, you know, as a team that that can be, that can be improved this season. You know, that can be, I'm not saying if they have only eight turnovers, they beat Auburn, but I'm saying maybe they get a win down this, down the stretch against an A&M or an Ole Miss or, or, you know, Florida, a team that they play without making those huge turnovers. I mean, they, the turnover from from Frank, he he had a wide open. I think it was Jermaine Man for a dunk. I'm not saying that, but that was a big. That was a swing. Look, I mean, the, Jabari what, Smith hit a three. This is what I don't want to get. So I always say I don't get caught up in wins and losses. And I've watched a lot of basketball. And college college is more similar to high school than it is similar to the NBA. That there are just some teams that are just really good. Vanderbilt played well enough offensively to win the game. Auburn shot 50% from three and over 58% from the field. And I watched the game. They weren't wide open looks. Consist Auburn just shot the lights out. And good offensive teams are just like, that's why I don't want to be too critical right now of the team because Vanderbilt, if Auburn was off, if they had an off shooting night, played, played well enough to beat Auburn. But Auburn didn't. And Auburn is better than Vanderbilt. That's why Vanderbilt played well offensively and played a pretty good game. Auburn was very, very good offensively after that beginning stretch. And guess what? It was 94 to 80, exactly where that Vegas line settled, 14 points. That was just the differential and the skill of the players. And that's in the depth of the team. And that's just like the reality of I can't be super critical right now. Just like I don't get over the moon on wins of teams that I think Vanderbilt should beat is you have to judge how they play against the competition they play against, and Auburn is better. And that's just just I mean, what, how we yeah. have to set. And they were unconscious. And so, like, I don't want to get too critical on anything specific in this game because, like, yeah, I know that Terran Frank turnover, but the idea of what he was doing was right. Like, I, I saw what he saw. Yeah. Down the court, it's yeah, just, I'm, I'm it's not at, a great I'm decision, and it's like Auburn was just in the right spot. Yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm talking, I'm talking more in the perspective of games down the stretch here that they have a shot of making the NIT. They can't make those That's type true. of tur- they can't make those type of turnovers down the stretch and expect to beat a team like AM or a team like Florida. You know, I mean, there's some good teams left on this schedule, but for Vanderbilt, I, I think the turnovers in those situations have hurt them. And at the same time, Auburn is just better, and and they are the better team. <laughs> There's not a whole lot Vanderbilt could have done. They're 13 and 12. They're five and eight. Like I said, everything is still in front of them. Um, so, but the bad news is Ronnie Chapman isn't coming back until the SEC tournament. <laughs> I mean, that's probably the toughest news uh, to, to, to get after a loss at, at Auburn. I, I just keep feeling so bad for this group and, and for this team and for Stackhouse. They haven't had much injury luck at all. I mean, it's, it's ridiculous. Um, so that, that's kind of where they're at, Will. And Chapman, say he's back for the SEC tournament and Liam Robbins is back at full strength. That's a hell of a, that's a, hell of a stretch run there. Maybe, maybe upset a few teams in the SEC tournament. But my goodness, the, the injury luck is continuing for, for this team. Well, you got you to gotta also keep in mind that 
they haven't lost to a team not ranked inside the Ken Palm top 10 since South Carolina, January 26 was their last loss. And they have beaten Georgia, Missouri, and LSU in that time. And in that time, they've also played Kentucky, ranked number three, Tennessee, ranked number eight, and Auburn, ranked number five. So they have played the, the losses they have had, even though it feels like they're stumbling almost mm-hmm. a little bit. They're really not. They've just they've lost to the really good teams in the conference as expected. It's just how the schedule set up is now they forced themselves this last stretch. They have to play a lot better because they dropped the games against South Carolina, both of them. But they picked up the one against Arkansas. So the, that kind of bounced out maybe a little bit. And now just how it's lumped at the end of the season, we just keep saying it. But there's this season can literally go to where they're fifth in the conference or it can go to where they're sitting at 13 mm-hmm. and it can go either direction. Mm-hmm. And so you don't you don't have that situation a lot. There's so much congestion in the middle of the conference yeah. with Auburn at the top and Georgia at the bottom. Anything can happen in this conference and down the stretch here, Vanderbilt. Will, can you go? I, I, I always you're, you're better going through the schedule than me, but I know they got Texas A&M on Saturday. Um, but let's just kind of run through these games. I know we got to get to baseball, but they got five o'clock at Texas A&M on Saturday. And then next week, who do they got, Will? They've got Alabama at home at 8 p.m. on SEC Network on the 22nd, which is a Tuesday. So they've got that on Tuesday versus Alabama. That's good that that's at home. That's that's a good sign. That's Alabama sitting at sitting at number 25 right now. So that is the best of the rest of what they have left. So that's the only team that they have ranked inside the Ken Palm top 25, inside the AP top 25. You still got Florida. Still got yep. Ole Miss. And, and you've got at Mississippi State, at Mississippi actually, State. after the Alabama game. And that is the one they've that, got. They've got to pick that one up. That looks like a game to me that for, for, for this team, you know, and I don't want to set thresholds and say, oh, if they beat Mississippi State, that this is a success. But, if boy, if they beat Mississippi State, that'll do wonders in the middle of the pack of that SEC. That, well, basically, it, the the scenarios at the end, because then you have Florida at home and then you go on the road at Ole Miss. And, and the scenarios go that you have to beat, for the, in my opinion, you have to beat Texas A&M and Ole Miss. Those are the two lower Texas to A&M separate will, yourself. Texas A&M, I think they were in that first night of the SEC tournament last season. Am I wrong in that? Uh, I, I think th- they're I think them and Vanderbilt the past couple years have been mm. that team. So in Vanderbilt. Uh, this is this is the game. I I really I, yep. I think Texas A and M because you know yeah you can you know beat Mississippi State but A and M is another team that has taken that step like Vanderbilt has and now let's see who's going to get out of that first. Well A and A and M sitting yeah A and M sitting at that seventy seven spot so they're sitting literally Vanderbilt is seventy six and Ken Baum. Yep. Texas A and M seventy seven. They, they've both so made similar right jumps. There. Yeah, that this is the make or break in getting yourself out of that Thursday yes, night it game. Is. Or you have to beat A and M and Ole Miss. If you win those two, you will be out pretty yep. much, almost guaranteed, unless and, some weird things happen. And I think Stackhouse knows this uh, about this game. And and look, after losing against Auburn and Tennessee, you got to believe this team's ready to come back at home and get a win. So it, it's it's going to be fun here down the stretch. Well, I I know we fun has it may not have may not be the right word for this for this season, but it's been improvement. It's that's that I think that's been a, a good word. Entertaining. It's been yeah. a, it's been competitive. Competitive. I think Tough. that's that's Gritty. what we were. That's what we wanted last last the last three years. We just wanted to yeah. say that's what we talked about over and over. Is just we wanted it to be competitive. That's well, my here thing. We with, are. That's it's competitive. We're here. That's my thing with fans still complaining about <laughs> this team and Stackhouse. Like, what more do you want from this team? This season I mean, especially. Now, next year, if you come out and have this exact same I, I, know, I, record at the same point, I think we will have warranted. some problems. Yes. Yeah, we'll have some issues. But this season, I mean, you are seeing it's that little chart that I drew on my photo app inside, and I tweeted back yeah. at uh, Jeff Goodman that was <laughs> – Saying, look, like this is when Bryce Drew got here. Here are the win percentages. And when Bryce Drew was coached, the win percentages went down every single year. Yep. And when Stackhouse has become coached, they've gone up every single year. Look and until that. they start plateauing or going down, I don't know. I'm still in the middle. I'm not decided that he's going to be here 17 years like Kevin, Coach Kevin Stallings was mm-hmm. and become a staple of West End. But 
until that win percentage starts going down, you have to give the guy the benefit of the doubt. And he's got a good class coming in. And that's why I'm giving him the benefit mm-hmm. of the doubt. If he didn't have this class coming in next season, Billy, I think we would be quite a bit more critical of the performance this season. Yes, it would. It, we would. And I think a lot of Vanderbilt fans would. Uh, but buckle up for the final stretch of this season. It's going to be fun. And Vanderbilt it has everything in front of them, like we've said. So Vanderbilt A&M on Saturday, 5 o'clock uh, tip-off, I think, there in Nashville on Saturday. So big game for the Commodores. Well, let's get to some baseball. I know this is, you know, previewing baseball is tough just because it's it's a little bit different than football and basketball. Uh, obviously, season hasn't started yet. There's no substance to really talk about, but there is the pitching rotation to get into. Uh, and here it is. Friday guy, Chris McElvain. Saturday guy, Nick Baldonado. And going on Sunday is a freshman, Carter Holton. And Will Carter Holton, uh, Max Hers is, is a guy that has seen him pitch. It was about an inning of a scrimmage, but he said he's got a live fastball and he kind of, he's kind of that type of Carson Fulmer, Sonny Gray, not real big, but he's, he's got some zip to the fastball. So I'll be excited to watch Holton, but Will, I'm more excited just to watch this matchup. I mean, Vanderbilt, Oklahoma state, that's a top 10 matchup. These are two of the premier programs in college baseball right now. They've got two Vanderbilt's got amazing facilities Oklahoma State I think just had a 60 million dollar uh renovation for for uh, for their facilities so and these are two coaches very familiar with each other and heading into this weekend this is the best college baseball series of the weekend and so uh I think for Vandy fans it it, baseball season always sneaks up but it's almost like you know it's time to rejoice because you finally got you finally got you know that consistent winner and Tim Corbin has brought his boys back so but, Will, I'm excited for the matchup, and honestly, I'm just excited to see some Vanderbilt baseball again. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you've got – you're shifting from what has been kind of it feels like the the buildup. You're kind of getting ready for takeoff. You've got football, which, you know, kind of started in the basement. I'm not going to lie. We started started pretty low on the totem pole of excitement level, How that, especially how that season began. Yeah. Then basketball, you picked it up a little bit, and now baseball. Now you're in contention for a national championship. So the excitement level can build up just a little bit more for Vanderbilt fans as far as expectations and actually yep. judging the yep. wins and the losses, Billy. We get to judge those. We get to uh, judge. With, with the baseball program. Here we go. But, yeah, I undersold Oklahoma State pretty badly uh, last podcast. I, I just looked at their last season. I didn't even look. I hadn't even looked outside of seeing Vanderbilt was number two or number three, depending on the poll at the polls uh, for, for college baseball this season. And Oklahoma State sitting at number seven or number eight, depending seven, on where you yeah. look. And they're actually in the gambling markets, like you mentioned, are actually uh, lower odds. So they're sitting at a lower payout to win the national championship, more likely to win the national championship according to the money and the sports books than Vanderbilt is, is Oklahoma State. So this is going to be a big matchup. You've got a lot of power coming back from Vanderbilt. You've got Carter, not power, but star power, I right. guess is what I was trying to say. Carter Young, Enrique Bradfield, Maldonado, but you've also got a lot of transfers into Oklahoma State. That's what mm-hmm. I kept reading was about them entering the transfer market and they were already bringing back 13 players from last season, four position start position right. starters and nine pitchers. So this Oklahoma State team is probably not the last time we're going to be hearing their name no. uh, discussed around Vanderbilt this season, uh, even though we're opening up the season yeah. with uh, with them. And well, it's it's a kind of series starting the season that if you get this win, that kind of catapults you into that non-conference play. And, you know, then say you beat Michigan like this is that kind of edge. You know, we talk about March Madness and getting those non-conference wins for that resume. Where's Michigan sitting at to start? Michigan, I'm not sure if they're a top 25 team. They're a really good – they're a pretty good team, though. I know they're Um, a traditional baseball. Yeah, so that's another – they play them in a midweek game, I think, in a few weeks. So that's another game for Vanderbilt in the non-conference. They obviously travel to Hawaii. Uh, But, Will, you know, we talk about for March Madness a lot, but on the baseball side of things – you're starting against the top 10 team. If, if Vanderbilt can get two out of three, you know, if they sweep them, that would be even better. Uh, but I think to start the season with a win over Oklahoma State would do wonders, you know, not only for confidence, but also uh, with that resume. And, and you know, th- this is why Corbin plays these types of teams, uh, because he knows it's going to play an advantage for them if they're able to beat them. And he also has confidence in his guys. <laughs> I mean, you know, that I, I think that that's a, that's another thing. But Well, for this team last season, 
obviously it didn't end on a high note. You lost to Mississippi State in, in the in the national championship. And quite frankly, it looked like these guys, you know, ran out a little bit of steam. They got, you know, they, they, it was a young group and, and it, you're going against a, a powerhouse in Mississippi State. Um, but Will, this is Corbin's 20th season. And I think for this team to come into, you know, his year, his final year and, and maintain this consistency, I think it says a lot about how much depth. I mean, it, like Vanderbilt doesn't go into the transfer portal really ever for baseball. I mean, we've seen it for they basketball. Haven't. We've they seen haven't. it for football. That's what I look at for this team. And Corbin talked about it a lot with other teams that, hey, we've got SEC is they've done well in free agency this season. So I will. I, I like that aspect of Corbin and his coaching staff and that, hey, we have, we've got enough confidence in our development and our program. And I talked about this with Max in the interview, but that that's all we need. You know, I mean, that that's what I love most about his, his program and saying, Hey, we may go into the portal a little bit, but honestly, right now we don't need that. Was it Max or was it Justin Hershey? It, I saw a tweet that tweeted that Vanderbilt has not entered the transfer market, the transfer portal for I, a player. I think it might have it transfer. might have been Hershey. I think I saw that yeah, tweet too. I, it he, been so they have not gone into whoever it was. I read it and they said it, and I was like, "That's true." Whatever yeah. they, whoever it was, I trusted him. So yeah. I think it's Hershey, <laughs> but we'll we'll say it's him um, and give him credit, even if it's not. And we'll give him credit. <laughs> but they are the gold standard. This is the gold standard program in college baseball. It's the Alabama mm-hmm. of college baseball. So that's a fascinating stat that they haven't done that. But also, it leads to expectations. And yeah. this is this is the difference. Is going into his 20th year, you want to sit back and say, let's appreciate where they are. But you see how quickly the window of going from winning conference championships to being in the cellar of the conference, how quickly that can happen and mm-hmm. how quick and how long that journey back can look. Yeah. So I at the same time that I want to sit here and just appreciate how good this team is and has been underneath Corbin. The expectations were a national championship robust. And I, yeah. and that's what it is yeah. every season. And anything less than that is going to be considered, I don't want to say a failure of a season, but Honestly, not a success yeah. of a season. Yeah. I wouldn't say I wouldn't say last year was a failure. No, but but With I wouldn't say it was a, a yeah. but it wasn't a success. And that's yeah. the difference. Is any other sport in all of Vanderbilt that exact season would be praised as an incredible season. And in Vanderbilt baseball, it was not a success. Mm-hmm. And that's the level that they are at. So that leads to a little bit more criticism, a little bit more scrutiny. And so yep. that's, you yep. know, I think we're a little excited for that and that they approach it more in that way than, uh, yeah. than I think we do baseball or, I mean, basketball or football yeah. right now, at least with where the programs are. Well, do you remember that 2019 team that came back with a lot of experience, guys like Ethan Paul and, and you know, you, you had some other you had some other guys, Drake Fellows on the mound and, and a, just a bunch of guys, Har- Harrison Ray, Julian Infante, they all came back to win a national title. You know, there are some guys that were really like had two year full years of experience and they decided to come back after losing to Mississippi State, the Supers in 20 and 2019. They came back in 2018 and they won it in 2019. So I think there are some comparisons to to that year with this team. I, I still think this team has that factor of youth, but the big experience for them is playing in that college world series finals against Mississippi state in front of that atmosphere. And they had to deal with all that crap with NC state and, and that being canceled. And, and they went through a lot in that postseason. and they went through some emotional an emotional regional. And emotion, this year could and feel a, like a breeze when they get there without, <laughs> without exactly. all the distractions that weren't even related to the yeah, field. An emotional regional, an emotional super. I mean, we saw that super will against East Carolina. That wasn't easy. So this team, they, they, they had, they, they got great, great experience and I think that'll play play into it but honestly will it may come down to how do you release Jack Leiter and Kumar Rocker yeah I mean that it might I I I hate saying it but it might come down to that because this offense they're going to put up runs they're going to put up a lot of runs they've got hitters all up and down the lineup with Enrique Bradfield at the top getting on base you got Javier Vaz Carter Young Dom Keegan I mean this team could be a really good offensive team but what are we going to get from the pitching staff? We don't know that this rotation is going to change a lot. I, I wouldn't be surprised if this starting rotation would change a lot, Will. So I know this early, it's before the season, but Will, I, I just think there are some comparisons to this 2019 team, but 
with no rocker and lighter, how does this team respond to that? Now they've got the depth. I'm not saying they're going to be hurting for depth, but at the same time, it, it's going to be interesting to see what pitcher steps up. You know, who, who becomes that dude, that guy that they go to? It could be McIlvain. It could be Maldonado. It could be the freshman, Carter Holton. You still got Riley and Little. So there, there's a lot of options at, at, on the mound there this year, Will. Yeah, I think we know, like what we said before, I mean, this is exactly what we talked about last podcast. This is not going to be the rotation going forward. Yeah, no, I mean, it's, it's going to change a lot. There's no way. I, I would. I was a little surprised would, to see I would initially. Bet, I would bet everything i have that one of the two of riley or little will be gonna sneak in there no not even sneak this is not (laughs) this no this is what i'm getting at is this was never and will never ever be the starting rotation ever these guys will never ever actually be the starting rotation when we hit sec play that was never even in consideration this is corbin he does it every year this is going to be it's probably going to end up being riley little maldonado there's no way that Little is not in the yeah, starting I, I'd rotation be surprised. normally. And there's I, no I'd... way that Riley is not in the starting rotation normally. I think I'm probably breaking up right here, Billy. It says the internet uh, connection is yeah, a little you, unstable. You broke up a little bit, but yeah, uh, this, I, I still got you. Get the, gener- the general idea of what I'm saying. The, the bats on the other side, I mean, damn. Like, you go through <laughs> that lineup, like, you have it's a tough. lot coming back. Carter you Young. I mean, even guys, Parker, Nolan, Keegan. Mm-hmm. I mean, Lenny, Vaz. You have a lot of speed on the base paths. Mm-hmm. Enrique Bradfield. And just, man, you have a lot here. Yep. And there, that's, that's where of... I get to is I'm getting a little bit more excited as it comes through. And I just – I at the beginning, you're going to see some weird stuff. You're going to see guys in different positions trying things out. And every year Twitter's going to erupt <laughs> as to what is wrong with Vanderbilt. That's why I'm going to say it again now, because it's just like when the rotation got released and everybody's like, what in the hell? And I was like, Jesus Just Christ. calm like, down. Do what, you what, not did read, like, what did people, I say last people time? The memory, the memory of goldfish, the memory of a goldfish, <laughs> like Vanderbilt fans are like, Corbin's lost his ever loving mind. And I'm like, and he did Corbin the exact same thing last seven years. Yeah. He's like done nine it every years year. He's done the same thing. <laughs> <laughs> like, uh, so how- I, you know, I'm excited, man. Like the more, like I was reading into it, like it's kind of snuck up on me, but I yeah. was just reading the names and all yeah. this stuff was flooding back of being in a, inside of the stadium the whenever hall. they actually yep. lost. Yeah. Whenever they actually lost, but when I was in there watching and it, that, that brought back some uh, great memories of last season. So I'm getting a little, a little more excited. A little amped up. It's February. It does yeah. not feel like it doesn't baseball feel, is coming back in February, man. It never feels bad to talk Vandy baseball, but it, for some reason it feels weird <laughs> to be talking about them right now. Uh, I don't know. I don't know what it is, but it does. Uh, I don't know what it is. It's, 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 there's, it's something, very there, odd, there's something about it, but honestly, Will, it feels good. Uh, uh, you know, we could, it feels good to just get ready for a weekend series and, and you've got Vanderbilt and Oklahoma state and we should be talking about it. I mean, it's, it's, it's Vanderbilt baseball, college baseball, I think is growing in popularity. And we talked about that with Max. So uh, Max Hers coming up, sports broadcaster reporter from 1025 The Game. He obviously calls game on SEC Network Plus. He'll be calling the game on Saturday. Uh, graduated from Vandy, so we'll dive into Vandy baseball with Max. We've got uh, more Vandy Boys talk coming up here on The Door Report, powered by Alaco Fine Wood Floors. Welcome back into The Door Report, and I'm now happy to welcome in Mr. Max Hers. He is, uh, I like to call him Nashville Swiss Army Knife of a broadcaster, a sports broadcaster, reporter, producer for 1025 The Game. Of course, we've, it, we've heard him before on SEC Network Plus, My TV 30, Friday Night Rivals here in Nashville. Of course, he's a 2017 graduate of Vanderbilt University, and he will be calling Saturday's Game 2 between Vanderbilt and Oklahoma State on SEC Network Plus. He'll also be uh, kind of spaced out a little bit, calling uh, more games this season at the Hawk. But, uh, Max, thanks for taking the time. How you doing? I'm good, Billy. It's uh, always good to be talking Vandy boys. So those who, like you, start talking about the team when they actually start the season are always the best places to be. It's, there's, there's never a bad time for Vandy boys talk. And uh, yep. I want to – I, I got to ask, it seems like another season has snuck up on us, especially me. Uh, do you usually feel that way? It, it feels like it gets a little bit closer and it starts a little earlier every year. Are you that same way? Well, when I get to go watch them scrimmage and practice a lot, it doesn't feel like that. I've only been there probably two, three, four days, and some of those were just little bits and pieces this year. So, I know it feels right. I uh, 
I don't usually plan anything for February. It's just kind of <laughs> in my head, like, oh, something's going on in February. They're going to be home. So my, my baseball brain has definitely changed from major league time to college baseball time in terms of how I think about months and uh, when and when I won't right. be at a game. Yeah, and we'll get into uh, MLB baseball, especially with the lockout likely delaying the season and, and the kind of impact that might have on the popularity of college baseball. We'll get into that a little bit. But Tim Corbin announced the starting rotation earlier today, and Chris McElvain will start on Friday night. Uh, Nick Maldonado will go on Saturday, and then Carter Holtz and a freshman will go on Sunday. Uh, initially, I was a little surprised to see the rotation. Uh, McElvain and Maldo both came out of the pen last season, but we did expect, I think, to see those guys eventually move into starter roles. Uh, Holton uh, uh, apparently has impressed the coaching staff as a freshman, um, so I wasn't necessarily surprised by him, but I was a little surprised to see both Riley and Little not in the rotation. They're not injured. They're, there's no problem with those guys, but uh, Corbin did say he wants to develop a, a more of a group effort this season. So were you surprised initially to, to see this rotation? I was not surprised. I think, and this is going to sound weird because there's a true freshman in the number three spot, but they went with experience over kind of the big name arms for those first two slots. And McElvain and Maldonado both really deserve that chance, I think. They both have the pitch mix that it requires, Maldonado especially with what we saw last year with how he really developed his four-seam fastball as the season went on. So he has two different fastballs. He has his cutter, and depending on the day, he could have as many as five total pitches. So I think he really deserves that chance with how good he was, and they're not going to hesitate to put anybody where they think gives them the best chance to win. And Riley and Little, like you said, are fine. They're just going to pitch in different roles as the season goes on. And uh, – I think we could see either or both of them in the starting rotation by the time SEC play starts, but McIlvain and uh, Maldonado get those first chances. Max, in the world of college baseball, it feels like, especially more recently in the SEC, you're seeing more transfers. You're seeing more super seniors. And I've heard Coach Corbin talk about the fact that hey, we're not going to be a transfer portal team. You know, we, we are going to develop our guys within our program. I'm not surprised to hear that from him. Uh, but I think as a Vanderbilt fan and for, for fans in general of college baseball, that's, that's, that's nothing Corbin and I think this program will really dive too much into. You know, they have confidence in their program. So with that in mind, you know, do you see them ever hopping into the transfer portal or is that simply, hey, we've got enough confidence in our development mental programs and our talent that we have here at Nashville that we don't need to do that. Yeah. I think if they ever really need to, they would. And if someone goes in there who they have a connection to, they're always going to do it. Like they, they took a grad transfer this year. His name's Jack Anderson. He's a right-handed pitcher. He pitched at Princeton and there hasn't been Ivy league baseball in two years. <laughs> so he's a unique case, but he's from Nashville. He went to NBA. So They'll take guys with connections. Javi Vaz is the same story as a junior college player who they took last year. But uh, Tim Corbin said on the first day of practice, uh, I'm going to mess up the exact wording, but he said uh, he sees that the other teams in the SEC have done well in free agency, which uh, <laughs> is classic Tim Corbin classic. joking. But um, there's going to be a lot of players for the fans who listen to this podcast, who watch every single game all season. There are going to be a lot of players who we've seen on Tuesday nights at Hawkins Field this year playing on Friday, Saturday, Sunday at Hawkins Field this year. Guys who have gone from places like Eastern Kentucky to Kentucky. Daniel Harris was the best player on Eastern Kentucky's team last year. He was their second baseman. Now he's on Kentucky. I imagine he'll be an everyday player. He, he hit basically 400 in the OVC. Wow. And now he's on Kentucky. Someone who we've seen, Sonny DeShera from Samford, played against Vandy two or three years ago. Big, big power-hitting first baseman. He's on Auburn now. He's probably in their DH mix. So it's, it's a bit of a natural progression. I don't think any of these teams have gone crazy, um, but it's the teams that need it. Like Kentucky and Auburn need that extra batter too. And Vandy doesn't need it because like you said, their development process is very layered. It's year by year, especially with pitchers. So, and with position players too. I don't, I don't think it's more so pitchers than position players. I shouldn't have said it that way, but uh, yeah, they, they develop their guys and they feel like with how versatile everybody is too, like there's never going to be a year where it's like, oh, we have a hole at second base. Like mm -hmm. this year, maybe you could have argued they have a hole at first base, but now someone like Tate Colwick might play first base. And it's a position where they never really have a true natural at that position. Who's mm -hmm. always played it. 
but they're always going to have someone in the program already who can fill it. So I don't think they need it. And they also already have 40 something players on the team. They got a lot of players. It's not like they need more players. Yeah. There's not a depth issue uh, with the, with the Vandy boys at all, but Max speaking of other teams with talent, Oklahoma state is a really good team uh, coming into Nashville this weekend. Two of the best teams in the country going at it. In the other episode, I said, if you're a baseball fan in Nashville, you need to go check it out. Cause those are two really good teams. Of course, you got former Commodore assistant, Josh holiday coming back to Nashville. Uh, Cowboys were really good last year. They lost in the regional to UC Santa Barbara. Uh, Vanderbilt took two or three from them uh, at their place. So, I, I love the fact these two teams are meeting on opening weekend. I'm sure you do, as many other college baseball fans do. It's supposed to be in the 40s in Nashville, so it's going to be a little chilly. But what do you think we could learn uh, from Vanderbilt this weekend? And, I mean, at least from a general fan's pr- perspective against a really good team, you could end up learning a lot. Yeah, I think we'll learn a lot about the pitching, that's for sure. Uh, how long they stick with guys, who comes in in what spot. If they are winning a game by anywhere between one and five runs, who comes in in that situation? How long do they pitch? What's option A? What's option B? Is option A a long guy to pitch the final three innings of a game or the final four innings of a game? Or is it four different guys each pitching an inning and getting that clean inning? And if it's a long guy, maybe it's somebody like Thomas Schultz, who's a junior now, who we've seen do that before. And if it's an inning at a time, maybe it's Nelson Berkwich for the sixth. Hunter Owen for the seventh, Christian Little for the eighth, somebody else for the ninth. Who am I leaving out? Gage Bradley, potentially. Freshman Grayson Carter is someone who's going to pitch a meaningful relief inning at some point in the next week. So it's just about seeing everybody get that first touch. When do they go with Little? When do they go with Riley? Since those guys are not starters, I think we have a better idea just from last year of when Riley could pitch because we know he could give them an inning at a time late, but He's probably more of a piggyback guy, at least to start, because they want to see what he looks like in the game environment. And then for somebody like Little, is it going to be an inning at a time for him? Is he going to come out and give them their best for an inning? And with what we saw from him last year down the stretch and four or five inning starts, like that's kind of salivating to think about what he could do, knowing he needs three more outs, four more outs, five more outs to finish up a game. They probably won't bring him on in too many inherited runner situations. That's just a guess me saying that, but I would love to see him pitch the eighth and ninth inning of a close game this weekend. So I think that'll be the fun part. I'm pretty confident about who will play where position player wise. There aren't really a ton of questions about uh, position player stuff for me. I think everybody who's coming back from an injury is pretty clearly healthy, meaning Carter Young and Tate Colwick. So Uh, I don't really have any doubts either about Dominic Keegan behind the plate. And to be honest with you, he's got a lot of time to make up ground there as the season goes on. If he isn't perfect on defense this weekend, but I think we know who fits where. um, And unless there's anything catastrophic, I think they have a group of nine. They really like at least to start with four or five other guys who could move people around too. Max, another thing we know is that there's no rocker and no lighter uh, for, for game one and game two. And, you know, coming into a season, it's hard to say Vanderbilt is being doubted. You know, I don't think that in the past four or five years, I don't think anyone's doubting this program, but it does feel like this team will coming into the, come into this season with a little bit of a chip on their shoulder, especially after what happened last season against Mississippi State. So how much of an impact do you see those two pitchers leaving on this season? And, and, and how do you think that'll translate to a lot of those younger guys offensively and kind of you know, evening out that load because last season it felt a little bit as if, Hey, we need a little bit more offense. We got the pitching could be the other way around this season. Yeah. Yeah. I think you're right. Uh, Especially in the beginning while pitching roles still get figured out, they're going to need to drop some numbers on teams, at least in non-conference play, because everybody's going to get their chances to pitch and not every inning is going to be a one, two, three inning. And it's not like it was with rocker and lighter either, but in some of those non-conference games, I mean, it was cruise control for those dudes. The Mm -hmm. the fielders were not doing much. (laughs) And they still have a lot of nasty arms who will get a lot of strikeouts, but there may be some control issues, things like that. Guys in starters roles for the first time, even though we know what Malnata, McLevain, et cetera, can do, they're trying something new. And they're probably both going to make four starts before conference play starts. And to expect all eight of those starts from those guys to be great starts is probably not fair to them. So there are going to be some games, especially against the more capable teams they're playing, like Oklahoma State and Hawaii, which being on the road is impactful too. And obviously that's a lot of travel. So like it'll, it'll be the type of experience that Tim Corbin wants them to get early in the season. 
though there are going to be some games where you're probably going to have to score six, seven, eight, nine to win. And hopefully it's more like 2019 where in the non-conference games, this team shows up, they're probably going to get five. Whereas in some midweek games, especially last year, they ended up being closer than you would expect just because it wasn't a lineup that was capable of putting up that big number four or five times a week. So I think if they can do that early, and like I said, I think the group is pretty steady in terms of who's going to be doing what. It's balanced too, especially if they get the power that Keegan had last year, the power that Young had before his injury, and then also the additional power that I'm expecting from Parker Nolan this season. Mm -hmm. I think they have a good mix of power and on base and the other things they like to do, whether you want to call it speed or just base running, whatever, however you want to turn that. I I think they have it all from the beginning. Max on Sunday, I feel like Vandy fans are in for a treat with Carter Holton. Um, I I, I have a good feeling you've seen him pitch as well. So what, uh, what have you seen from that kid and what has, what do you think has impressed the staff uh, from that kid? I feel bad because I've seen him pitch one scrimmage inning. I missed his first inning one of the days he threw, and it was from like a weird angle. Like I was stand, like I had just walked into the Hawk. It was like, it was a basketball game day. So I had gotten there probably around noon, maybe. And I just kind of walked in the bullpen door where they open it up for scrimmages. And I ended up just like kind of behind first base for it, but it's, it's zip on the fastball, really good change of pace with the breaking ball. And uh, it's just above and beyond really consistent body of work. And uh, it was, it was obvious he was going to start one of the first four games. Maybe it was going to be the midweek game Tuesday, but it's game three. So it's a, it's a, it's a classic. He had them all the way type thing. I really think, I don't, I don't think there's been anything to happen to suggest that he wasn't going to be a starter right off the bat. They really, really like him and he's definitely getting rewarded for all the things he's done well. Do you think there's potential there with him maybe moving into that Friday night role if he steps up? Because the Friday night role is, you know, the most important, usually your ace, usually the most important guy. And right now it's McIlvain. Do you think there, obviously there's room for shifting. There's going to be a lot of it. Uh, But for Holton in particular, how much shifting do you think we could see with him? Yeah, I think it depends more on mental with him. Um, And they never really know what's going to happen with that until they see a player pitch in a game. But Mm. he'll, he'll get, in this non-conference season, he'll throw somewhere between probably 15 and 25 innings of very, very meaningful play. They'll put him through some tough scenarios. They may have a short leash on him at times, but they'll build up his pitch count as he progresses. And it, if it comes open and he's handled everything else well, and he's still in the rotation when SEC play comes around, I'd yeah, I mean, you can never rule anyone out of that. You definitely can't. Right. Max, I feel like as Vandy fans, a lot of times we like to make uh, connections to a certain team of the past and say, hey, this this reminds me of a team, you know, in 2017 or 2016 or so. With this team, it feels a little bit tougher to do that just because it it, it might be tough to get a read on this team, especially two or three weeks into the season. Um, you know, they're still young, but they have that quality experience. So, is there a comparison that you could draw here or is this simply, this is their own group and they're, they're their own kind of personalities. I think offensively you want to dream big and say 2019 because of the experience in the lineup and the returning experience. And in that lineup, I mean, we knew JJ Bladé was going to be good that year. We didn't know he was going to be that good number four overall, <laughs> or was he number three overall? I don't even remember at this point. He was, number three overall, yeah. right? he was number three overall. I think it was three. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so, look, I mean, there's there's guys in this lineup this year who could end up in the top 10, top five. Carter Young, Dominic Keegan, the real outside horse in that is Parker Nolan. I don't know if Nolan can climb that far, but uh, he's done a lot of the things that J.J. Bladé did his first two years. He's played a lot. He's defended well enough. He's hit the ball really well to the opposite field, especially with some power. And he's shown that that he he has everything nailed down. He just kind of needs the consistent playing time to be in the middle of that lineup. And last year he was in the middle of the lineup a lot, but sometimes he was hitting fifth, sixth, seventh. So I think, I think those guys and the potential of those guys makes you think about a 2019 type lineup. Pitching is tough. I wanted to say 2020 initially with Holton kind of being freshman lighter in that comparison but there's really nobody who's rocker 2020. Not maybe really. Maldonado is. Maybe he is. I mean, not to compare that, anyone to light, lighter and rocker. Yeah. Yeah. 
So I think it's 2020, but I think the freshman group of 2020, which is now the junior group of McIlvain, Maldonado, Doolin, Laboki, et cetera. Uh, I think that freshman group was better than this year's freshman group, but uh, some of these freshmen are going to throw too. Um, and somebody like Gage Bradley, who pitched in, I think, two games last year and uh, never really got much of a shake just because of how the team worked out. Um, he, he'll he pitch some, too, this year. Um, I was really looking forward to see Miles Garrett, who apparently is not on the team anymore. Tim Corbin confirmed that earlier today. I don't know what happened at all, but uh, that's a big loss for sure. Um, so, I, yeah, I don't know if they go as deep pitching wise, but also we never got to see that team play a conference game. So maybe we have an overinflated impression of what that freshman group was like right off the bat, because they never got to face the big guns. Max defense. You mentioned it. It was an issue uh, last season and it feel like it compounded in the postseason, especially against Mississippi state. Now that could have been more of fatigue and, and kind of being a younger group, but let's get into defense. And, you know, you've got Dominic Keegan switching over to catcher, a guy that caught in high school uh, from what I've heard. So he's got the experience there, but in terms of their experience and, and just simply improving, <laughs> I mean, I think that was uh, the, the main thing that these guys just, you know, there's room to grow defensively. So how much uh, improvement do you think can be made, especially after last season? And, you know, do you think, do you see that being somewhat of an, somewhat of an issue? How do you, how do you see the defense playing out this season? Yeah, I think a lot of it was them going through those playoffs for the first time. Um, and they, I mean, they were good in regionals and supers defensively. Right. So um, maybe not perfect in regionals, but they, they were, they were good. So I think a lot of it was the combination of um, the, uh, just kind of the bigger stage and going through that for the first time and hitting that fatigue wall, like you said, around game 70 or so. And then also Carter Young was hurt. I mean, he's, He's got to be your best defensive player at shortstop. Um, and some of the decisions he made were just like little mental mess up, mm -hmm. mental mess ups. And I mean, you got to remember he was, he basically came back, like he needed surgery and he wasn't <laughs> going to have the surgery till after the season. Cause he wanted to play. And you know, like how does, how does injuring his left shoulder affect him picking up a ground ball? Well, maybe even if it doesn't physically prevent him from reaching for the ground ball, which it could have, it, it the whole thing just kind of changed the way his brain worked and his hitting was affected. And in the first two rounds, he couldn't switch hit and all this stuff. So I think they'll be good defensively. As long as young is back to himself, Colwick is a really good defender, whether they have him at second base or first base. And he couldn't really play either down the stretch because of an injury. So uh, I think, I think the position to watch defensively because we know what we're going to get from Bradfield. I think for the most part, we know what we're going to get from Javi Vaz in the left, which is, I think, where they're going to slot him. Uh, the spot to watch is Spencer Jones in right field. And we've seen a game or two of him in the outfield. He played there in the Cape League last summer, played a lot of center field, which I I mean, unless, unless Bradfield ends up being absent, he's not going to be needed there for Vanderbilt. And even so, maybe they prefer someone like Calvin Hewitt or TJ McKenzie in center field, who's more of a true center fielder. But I like Jones as a corner guy. I mean, as long as his elbow's healthy, we know he's got a good arm. He has range. I think his range profiles more to a corner spot. And he said last week in one of his press conferences, he's one of the players that they've made available to the media. He said he will not be offended when Enrique Bradfield Jr. calls him off. <laughs> so uh, I think that's the most important thing about playing next to Bradfield is you know he's going to get to a lot of your stuff. So, uh, and that's clearly been drilled into his head, presumably on Mike Baxter, who coaches the outfielders. So uh, Spencer in right field is the one to watch. Uh, seems like his arm is healthy. He rehabbed that Tommy John as a position player, which uh, was really interesting to me that he basically made the decision himself that he wasn't going to pitch this year. And he finally had a whole off season. It happens to be as a hitter, but uh, we get to see him. And so, I guess that whole triangle on the right side will be one to watch with Jones and right. And then I think some combination of Davis Diaz and Tate Colwick at second and first seems like they're going to have Diaz be the one up the middle to start. I may be wrong about that come this weekend, uh, but seems like Colwick has had the reps at first. And uh, yeah, I think, I think it's a good defensive infield. I think it is. And Nol Noland is better than the, the, the national people and the people who get their right. write ups from scouts. Like Noland is a better defender than the. Then like, he's getting credit for I don't, it. Yeah. I, I have 
I don't care what scouts say about Parker Nolan's defense. <laughs> we'll put it that way. It's it's, it's what it needs to be. It's kind of tough to to listen to some of the national gurus who who may not have all the inside scoop on Vanderbilt baseball. But Max, you mentioned a lot of other guys, some young guys that could step up. And it feels like there's always that young freshman or maybe a sophomore who hasn't played a lot that ends up surprising Vandy fans and ends up being a, a big time player. So who's your sleeper, your sleeper pick this season for a player that you might might not even have mentioned yet, but a guy that could step up? Hmm. Yeah, I don't, does Hunter Owen count as a sleeper? Is yeah. he sleeping deeply enough? Okay. He's, he's I'll, go with, I'll go with Hunter Owen because he pitched a lot last season, but big body lefty, pitched a full summer last year. He's got a lot of bullets in the tank, um, and I think they're really excited about him in a couple of different roles because he can give them some distance this year. That's the plan is for him to give them some distance, but also come eighth, ninth inning, maybe a month or two from now, I think he's got a chance to be that guy as well. So I really like what I've seen from Owen. Um, I've seen him pitch, I think, once in scrimmages, just in little stints. I haven't seen anybody pitch more than an inning or two. So, um, yeah, I like Owen a lot. But I think you could also put people like Nelson Berkwich and Donye Evans in that sophomore group who pitched more by necessity down the stretch last year after the injuries that happened to Laboki and everybody else on the pitching staff. Uh, but I like those guys. Um, Holton is too obvious. Um, Tim Corbin seems to really, really like Jonathan Vastine, who's a left-handed hitting freshman infielder. Nasty. I have not seen I have not seen much of Vastine, but uh, Tim Corbin seems to really like him. And I think whenever that first infield spot opens up for a game, whatever the reason is, Vastine will be the one going in, unless it's first base <laughs> and Casas can get in there. But uh, they seem to really like Vastine and he's, he's kind of a, maybe a defense first, put the ball in play, get on base type, um, but he'll have his chance. That's for sure. For Vandy fans who, you know, may not be able to go to the Hawk there, there's plenty of games that they can watch on TV, not just on the SEC network. Plus there's some big games uh, on an SEC network. You got a couple on ESPN two, which I think is awesome for college baseball. They've got 11 total on national TV. The game that jumps out to me, Max, this season is game one between Tennessee and Vandy on a Friday night at the Hawk ESPN two should be revved up for that one. Do you see college baseball continuing to grow like it did last season, especially with the MLB expected to be delayed due to the lockout? Yeah, uh, well, MLB is definitely not doing what it should be right now. Um, <laughs> but I've always thought that MLB should be the biggest driver of promoting college baseball, and they've done little things. But um, I think the people who really want it, who have never found it before, will find it. Um, but it's also... I've always thought it's much better of an in-person product than a TV product. Um, but I, I hope everybody at ESPN is ready to really go all in. If baseball really gets pushed back, if major league baseball really gets pushed back. Um, yeah. I think a lot of new people will find it and putting it, putting it on more than just the conference networks. Like a lot of people watch on the sec network um, and they do a great job getting three, four games on a day. Um, but like you said, that, that jump to ESPN two is, is meaningful in terms of finding those more casual people. And I think the big baseball fans who haven't found it are more and more finding it as like the baseball media world becomes more podcasty and yep. less like you watch your major league game and that's it. Right. Yeah. I don't know if you, if you've seen any of Jared Caravas's work uh, with Barstool, but he, he said he's going all in on college baseball this year. So uh, I think it's guys like that, that have, you know, notoriety within the game that, Hey, if they promote it, you know, that's, that's going to do wonders because they've got baseball fans watching their content and following them on Twitter. And now they're entering the, the college game. So especially for a team like Vandy, they, they, they're not, you know, they've got all the content in the world with their team in particular, but in terms of sec baseball, there's not much of a better product for baseball in America than, than this conference. I mean, it, it's, yeah. it's ridiculous. And Vandy's always going to be the most watched or one of the most watched teams and the fan base is so national i i can't even realize how national it is um but the the biggest baseball minds are choosing to watch these games no matter where exactly in the game they fit um but there are there are there are very important people watching every game and talking about every single vanderbilt baseball game and uh there there's a reason they set the pace um and there's a reason that every single youth middle school and high school player in the country wants to be on this team 
Yeah, they're the cool team. They're, they are the cool college baseball team to play for. Max, you talked about the SEC. A lot of teams are utilizing the transfer portal, as I said, and super seniors. Uh, but from Vandy's perspective, they obviously look loaded, as they always are. Does it get any easier this season? Because, I mean, they, they were good. They were good last year. They were good two years ago. It seems like teams like Tennessee are stepping up, too. You got Auburn, Kentucky, other teams entering the fold. So, uh, from Vandy's perspective, does it? do you think it gets any easier? I hope not. Um, <laughs> but I, th- I think the pitching will be great, as always. Um, yeah, I think, I, I think it's a matter of who's three, four, five, six in the East. And are those teams, can those teams get better without making anybody else worse? You know, like they don't need to pass anybody, but they need to be better three, four, five, six. And Tennessee is the leader of that, in my opinion. Vandy and Florida are still one and two in the East. But uh, I think I think if Tennessee can reach that level, um, and I mean, who, who knows what Kentucky looks like in South Carolina. I hope South Carolina is better this season. They kind of ran into some tough luck mm-hmm. and some depth issues last year. Um, but yeah, I think that middle of the pack in the East kind of determines who's going to be what, because you, you know, the West is going to be deep with everybody except at least Auburn and Alabama. And there's a chance those teams are good this year too. Yeah. So uh, yeah, I think, I think Tennessee being good is a real, a real push up for everybody, if that makes sense. Yeah, I'd, I'd expect, you know, the SEC to, to be just as loaded and, and and especially with some of those other teams stepping up, it's it should be another fun season. But Max, one more here before I let you go. Um, what more can you tell us about the updates to the Hawk? I think some fans have been really interested with the outfield seats. Uh, I think that that have uh, the cushion seats that have been inserted. There's obviously some sweet type, uh, you know, tables and, and kind of other amenities that that have been added to the Hawks. So for, for anybody going to the series this weekend, it should be a good crowd. What, uh, what more can you tell them that maybe they don't already know about, about the stadium? I have only seen that there are new chairs, um, but I will let the uh, people who actually work for Vanderbilt speak on that one. Um, but yeah, everybody should go to the games and everybody should go to the games starting in February. Yep. That's, that's uh, you should join their marketing team. That, that's a, that's a pretty good, uh, pretty good, pretty good analysis there, but Max, thanks again for coming on and good luck with the call on Saturday. Uh, I'll be tuning in. I'll be watching all of them and uh, hopefully it's another fun season. Awesome. Thanks Billy. Appreciate it, man.